are worlds between our own, and from these worlds there are written histories, both ancient and modern. To read of these testaments, scrawled in hidden places and on other things, you must fix your eyes uncomfortably within you, and if successful, your gaze will unlock the door behind raw imagination and meet the manuscript of innumerable folios known as the Dark Darkness. Hello, I'm Sharkchild, and this is The Dark Verse, testament scrawled in hidden places and on nether things, with the sole purpose of sharing with you a unique world of horror and fantasy that will follow you to the visions of your sleep. I have finally written a story based on the entries given to me, uh, by the fans who participated in the dreadful Inspirator contest back in October of 2009. And the uh, story I have to share with you in this episode is based off of the entry of Johnny Figura. And I hope I pronounced that correctly. I apologize if I didn't. As a refresher, the contest was this, three items given to me via email that would inspire a story for the dark verse. The three things had to be this, A, a strange creature, being, or person, B, a strange setting, and C, a strange occurrence. Johnny's entry for the three elements were as such, A, Nyarlathotep, B, the top of a mountain with a sacrificial altar similar to the one in the Dunwich Horror, and C, making a deal with a human. I am now going to share with you the product of that inspiration, but please be forewarned that this story does not cover to a T all that Johnny requested, and there are also some elements that are implied, but that are not announced directly. Without a doubt, however, this story was completely inspired by those items submitted for the contest. This is episode 67 of The Dark Verse, and it is entitled, The Summit and the Sacrifice. I found the perfect summit to erect the altar for my sacrifice. It was sunken down in a valley surrounded by mountains of tremendous size. Instead of aiding in the formation of the valley, this mountain housing the summit I eyed stood independent within the valley, standing against the erosion of age-old time, an oddity of nature. As I stared at this gem of existence, my heart raced with gladness. I knew there was no better place to proclaim and exalt the one whom I followed. I had walked hundreds of miles in search of such a destination, miles covered by the scourge of rock, plant, and tree. Not a single civilization was remotely nearby. There were not even wandering nomads, and so certainly there were no roads, paths, or trails. 
My journey was dominated by coarse, seemingly impassable terrain. And all through this traveling, I carried with me an immense prisoner, wrapped in a thick tarp, tethered to my back, that writhed in such ways that sent ripples of exhaustion through my limbs. It longed to kill me, even in its capture, and it often came close. Every time I propped open its immurement of tarp to pour it water or feed it food, I cringed terribly at this thing that laded me. It only avoided death by the facet of my purpose. When I spotted the summit, I was inexpressibly relieved. I knew in my heart that I had found the profound location worthy of the deed that I had set out to fulfill. There was a sensation then that I had not felt for a very long time. Hope. I had hope that I would one day again return home, triumphant. Hope aside, the climb to the summit was a long and intense conflict, and despite the hardships I encountered earlier throughout the voyage, this passage was by far the most difficult element. While this summit was not as tall as the surrounding mountains, its location hindered any method of attaining its top other than directly climbing its face. It was steep, it was untamed, and it was, without the proper focus and strength, deadly. Many instances led me to leave my prisoner upon an extended line, allowing me to climb preceding it and then pull it up thereafter. Several times, this act led to a battle of my balance against my prisoner's tactics of weight dispersal. It constantly altered its distribution of mass, causing swaying and twisting. With all that I could muster, I was barely able to avoid the plummet into demise. When I finally surmounted the mountain and brought the lay of its peak into view, I became a witness to something unthinkable, something hidden from the world betwixt the landscapes of the known. It was a distant, unforgivable horror made native, viewable, tangible. Upon this mountain top there was already an altar, and it was not constructed by any hands like mine. Enormous stone tablets stretched in an oval to each of the ends of the zenith. Upon these tablets stood a giant table, and on this table lay bones of all sizes of sacrifices past. The table's height was that of my own, and many of the bones were larger than any size I could imagine a beast being. Something had been to this mountaintop long before my time, perhaps even before the time of anyone like me and had been using it ever since. Curious burn marks laced the surface of the table that contained the bone remains. These burn marks were grouped in certain symbols of the same kind, which I soon interpreted as varying languages. Surely enough, one of these groupings of languages was in my own tongue. What I read was this. Give unto me your possessions, and I will dilute thy torment. The table's request did not settle well with me. My prisoner was not intended to be a gift to anyone but the one whom I followed. Yet, the moment I saw these words, a curse befell me, a curse that forced me to make a terrifying decision against truth, the truth that the words were honest. And in this moment, also, I was placed into a stasis of irony, 
a realization of the complete implausibility of me ever coming across such a distant and secluded place that would request a gift when I had a gift to give. This table and altar had been used many times, times beyond the knowledge of things living and of things dead, and after I laid my eyes on such architectures, I felt validity in the knowledge of the world stemming from this place, beginning there and leading into all creation, the blood of sacrifices, the fuel of the ingenuity, bizarreness, and power. I doubted my own beliefs because of such things. A hierarchy of unseen principalities swirled in protest against the preordained lineage of my thinking. But I could not let myself fall prey to disillusion. I would stand firm. Under the duress of this haunting location, I knew all the more that I had to consecrate my prisoner through the letting of its blood upon this shrine to the one whom I followed. I reveled at the thought of shaming the pre-existing altar and exalting my leader above that entity which hailed worship from this ancient summit. I began the preparations of my altar with diligence. With an axe I carried, I cut down several trees, and then cut them further to create the necessary building blocks for the structure I would erect. While I worked, my prisoner howled and hissed. It knew its time had diminished, and its ultimate fate lay not far away. I worked with efficiency, wasting not a scrap of material. With the pieces of wood I primed, I tethered together my altar, a crux-like cradle, in a design passed down from generation to generation to generation. Once completed, I placed this altar atop the archaic table, and then hauled up my prisoner as well. In my logic, I had to elevate my sacrifice above the past sacrifices to successfully implement the one whom I followed as the sovereign deity. With my sacrifice inside the cradle atop the table, within the trespassed altar, I unveiled it. I cut away the tarp concealing its terrible visage, and let its features be free to roam into the air and sky to bewilder the unliving particles of matter. A deep mouth with scattered razor-sharp teeth inverted outward and extended like a tongue, seeking to vacuum my life inside itself. Eyes in two pairings rapidly blinked and absorbed light, refracting it through its curled nose in illuminated golden fumes. Its flesh, a deep inferno-slated black, jutted forward as sticky picks, a tool for clutching its victims while sucking them away into gruesome oblivion. I muttered several prayers to the one that I followed, and then raised my axe above the sacrifice's head in a way that upon release would split it perpendicular to the stone beneath my feet. And as the axe rested high, an enormous figure several yards away flashed before my vision. It came and went as if a bolt of lightning. I could not see this figure so much as sense it. It was there, but there was nothing to be physically seen. It had essence, but perhaps not in the sense of the material of this current realm. And then again it flashed, closer and to the left. Then again it flashed, closer still and to the right. Then it flashed once more, and was instantly before me, towering over me 
with its hands holding my axe up and its feet at the base of the table. Still I could not see it, but still I could sense every aspect of its present existence. Thanks be to the faceless one, my prisoner said in the hold of its hideous language. Then the prayers of it, my prisoner, not mine, were answered, and a sacrifice was made. That concludes episode 67 of The Dark Verse. Make sure you download all of the past episodes at thedarkverse.com or from iTunes. Also, you might have noticed that Facebook changed the uh, fan pages. Now, you can only like pages. You can't become a fan. So, please go to my page and like it. And that page is located at facebook.com slash sharkchild. If you want my book, go to sharkchild.com and uh, click on the shop link and you can purchase my book. All right, now get back to living. All stories on the dark verse are the sole property of Sharkchild and cannot be used for distribution, publication, or monetary gain without my written consent. Sleep deeply and remember to love.